Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, congratulations. You're about to arrive to the right place. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to the Ellen and Aaron Sportsbook. Are you ready for it? Now, here is Ellen and Aaron. Good evening, everybody. It is Friday, July 29th, 2022. It's the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk podcast tonight. We're going to be, uh, well, coming back here. It's been a couple weeks since we've all been together, and we've got a lot of fantastic news to get to here tonight on the show. Uh, NFL training camp has started. We are a week or so away from the annual Hall of Fame game. Uh, Major League Baseball is, of course, uh, just a few days out from the uh, summer trade deadline. Cameron Poe apparently has shown up to play quarterback for the Packers. Uh, Kyler Murray has a huge new contract with the Cardinals. There is so much stuff to discuss here tonight. And we can't have the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk podcast without Allen, of course, being here. Uh, So, Allen, good evening. Uh, It's been a few weeks. I know we've talked uh, through text messages and a few conversations uh, since the early part of this month. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I really am. Thank you for asking. Glad to be here. Really having a, a Fantastic month of July, and I have no no complaints. Glad that you're back. Glad that we're both back, safe and sound. You yeah, know, we had, yeah, definitely. Yeah. We 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 uh we we compiled some uh, miles over the last few uh, few weeks. I think we were a little over 3,200 miles total, and <laughs> I know you drove uh, from from the Tampa area up to Chicago and back. So um, everybody's back in one piece. That's a good thing. Uh, everybody from what I see had a lot of fun, which is also a good thing. And we got to see some cool sites. I know you got to go to Wrigley Field, uh, your first experience there. Um, I got an opportunity uh, with my family to go to, let's see here, uh, St. Louis Arch there in, of course, St. Louis. That's the Gateway Arch, uh, Bush Stadium for the Cardinals, uh, Kansas City. Spent uh, several hours in, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago when I called in, uh, the Negro League Baseball Museum, uh, one of the most fantastic trips I've ever made. One of the neatest things I've ever seen. A lot of great history there. Um, got to go to the Royals uh, game that night. Also uh, saw Arrowhead Stadium where the Kansas City Chiefs play. And then um, following day, probably the, the part of the trip that was the least looked forward to was that long drive across Kansas over to Colorado and uh, spent some time in the mountains uh, there in Colorado Springs and the Denver area. And, of course, uh, two weeks ago tomorrow was – uh, going to Colorado Rockies game uh, there in Denver. But traveling is always fun. You get to see some things you don't normally see. And we posted a lot of uh, pictures. A lot of people have made comments and likes and things of that nature. So we really appreciate that everyone has uh, enjoyed the things that we've enjoyed here. And now we're back. And now we've got a lot of stuff to get to uh, here tonight. And it looks like we have our good friend Lou waiting on the line. So we're going to go ahead and bring him on and uh, get his take on some of the stuff we're going to talk about here tonight. Lou, how are you, my friend? Hey, fellas. Welcome, welcome back to both of you. <laughs> it's been a while. All right. It's <laughs> been a while. Hey. Yeah. Okay. How you what's, been, uh, What's going on in Lou land uh, at this time? <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, all three of us together, it's, it's, been, it's been a little while. So. True. Yeah, it has, Lou. You're right about that. You know, it's, it's one of those things where if you don't get it done in July, you're in trouble because the kids go back to school. They go back to school early here in the South. 
They go back. Right. They go back early, and if you don't get it done in July, then you are pretty much going to be a wrap oh, until yeah, Christmas. Right. Well, Thanksgiving, but still. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. But yeah, how you been? All right. Lots of stuff going on baseball. Trade deadline is underway. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In fact, we'll we'll talk about that. You know, with baseball. You know, is there any team that you feel is is now at this point a pretender or a contender? Well, we know that the Reds are are pretenders, so we can forget that. The Nationals are a joke. <laughs> when I, of course, you got the Tigers who are, you know, yeah. But I would keep my eye out on the National League East. You know, you got three teams in contention. You got the Braves. You got the Mets, of course. Watch out for those Phillies. Uh, they might be. They might play spoiler here. Yeah, I mean, I'm and I actually went to Wrigley Field and saw the Mets play against the Cubs, and nothing flashy about them, the Mets, but they have a, a very good, fundamentally sound team. Good pitching. Really, really good pitching. Got a good mix of vets. And I wanted to ask you, actually, Aaron, this. The Braves were only a half a game out. Now they moved back to the last one I checked, three games out. They were really close. Do you think they're going to catch the Mets? I think they can. Uh, I think it's certainly uh, yeah. within their reach. Um, you have to keep in mind that both teams have uh, key pieces that have missed some significant time. And I think the Mets have, have uh, Scherzer's back now. So uh, I think they're waiting on DeGrom to come back, uh, which will be, you know, that'll be a boost for them. Uh, on Atlanta's side, you've missed, um, let's see, Soroka hasn't pitched in almost two years now. So you're waiting for him to come back probably mid-August. Um, Give me a problem. Well, two years out of the league, you know, you might, you might have lost a little bit. It's hard, it's, hard that's to true. Tell. It, it'll be hard to tell, but I mean, at this point, I think you can only be a plus at this point. Um, they're not going to have him go out there and play if he's not going to be a, an impact at this point. So um, then the biggest piece of your offense, uh, in my opinion, that's missing one of your catalysts for getting on base and you know driving in and scoring runs has been Ozzy Albies. He's been out for about a month and a half now, and I'm hearing probably into August, early part of September, uh, before he comes back, and he, he he really drives that offense a lot of ways. Um, you know, usually yeah. hits in the you know first uh, three or four spots in the batting order. A lot of times he's hitting number two. He's a speed guy. He can hit the ball out of the ballpark. Puts the ball in the gap. He puts the ball in play more than anything else. Um, so I think it's going to be interesting. I think the real big determining factor this year, maybe more so than any year in the past, is what kind of moves are these two clubs going to make over the next three or four days ahead of the trade deadline. And Atlanta, another big piece that they're missing now for the rest of the year is Adam Duvall. Not a big average guy, but a guy who hits a lot of, a lot of home runs. Um, you know, a big piece of your, your lineup is now missing. So that leads me to think that the Braves will probably make some noise over the next couple of days, but I don't think that's going to stop the Mets from doing the same thing. I think they're, they're uh, already looking at making some moves. In fact, I think they made a move, I believe it was yesterday, to, I think it was Tyler Naquin from the Reds, and they also got a pitcher uh, from Cincinnati as well. So they're, they're doing what they need to do. And a lot of times this time of year, as we saw with the Braves a year ago, 
it's not necessarily going out and getting those superstar players. You're looking for the areas where you have maybe a little bit of a gap or maybe something that you need to kind of fill in with. Atlanta did a great job with Solaire, with uh, Jock Peterson, Adam Duvall is another piece of it, and then they added a few other uh, smaller pieces, and you know they went on a great run in the second half, or really the last third of last season, and of course, you know played so well in the playoffs. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. There's still a lot of baseball that is left to be played, and I think that you know you look at the Braves and the, and the Mets. I think this is going to be a, a really a divisional race that goes all the way down to maybe the last several games of the season. Those two teams do play nine games in the month of August. I think that'll probably be a big decider. If it's, you know, 5-4 Mets or 5-4 Braves in those nine games, this thing's going to stay close. If one team dominates, wins six or seven games out of that nine games in August, that team's going to really have the upper hand. Um, But it's a lot closer than it was. We now's not the time because now's not the time to you know hold up and die. If, if you're going to make a run now, you got to do it right now. I think there's yeah. going to be a lot of big surprising moves here in the next few days too, not just by these two teams, but by several others as well. Any any predictions you have, Lou, for any teams you think have a chance to to make a good run? I'll stick with what I got. I mean, the Yankees are going to take the going to take the division, no question about it. I mean, okay, so they have a little bit of swamp right now, but I'm not worried about that. Um, between the Dodgers, Padres, and the Giants, um, I think still it's going to be the uh, the Dodgers. Um, I think the Brewers will take the uh, NLs will take the Central. Um, so of course you can forget the D-backs. So. You know, most of my predictions stayed uh, close to what I had at the beginning of the year, and I'm keep unless something uh, dramatic happens. I mean, we're not going to see. I don't think we're going to see another surge that we did last um, August. You know, with a brace start up, I don't think we're going to see that again. Not for okay. a while. I don't expect to see those late season surges where all of a sudden they come out of nowhere and take it. Yeah. So that's some good, great picks. I did want to mention that. Um, you know, we wanted to thank our sponsor, Chef G's Florida Barbecue Sauce, for being our sponsor. So delicious and addictive. You may need a support group, so please support Chef G's Barbecue Sauce at flbbq.com. Flbbq.com. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's definitely a, a year that the baseball season. It's funny because once the All Star Game goes by, it seems like these months go by really fast. They do. You know, it takes forever to get there at the All-Star break, and then once you get there, it's, you know, it's, you're counting down to the end of the season. Well, I know I am. Yeah, you're right about that. We're absolutely yeah. right about that. I mean, I mean, look, eight weeks from now, it's the last week of the regular season. Yeah, just I can't believe that on Monday it's already going to be August 1st. This month really flew yeah. by, and – so eight weeks, from the, eight weeks from the, is, you know, is uh, in the season. So it's roughly we're coming down to 60 games. Wow. Yeah, so you're right. If you're going to make a move, you better do it now. Yeah. And speaking about moves, what, what things you got cooking on your show this weekend? You know, before I get to that, I wanted to mention, um, I don't know if you guys follow NASCAR or anything, do you? Aaron. 
Uh, I follow it slightly. It's more yeah, – both my kids are, are more into it than, than I am, but I, I do follow yeah, it for uh, some of the newsworthy stuff. Yeah, because we had a bit of controversy last week uh, at uh, Pocono 600, at the Pocono race uh, about disqualification. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. I Both. did hear about that. Yep. Do you agree with the disqualification? Well, I can't really say who was at fault there, but I'm sure they had their – I'm sure they had their reasons, you know, for that. I mean, am I happy about it? No, of course not, because I know that some people are going to be arguing about it, and they have a right to. But hey, the judge made the final call, so you have to have to stick with it. It was a very it was a very controversial very controversial call there. But I am going to discuss that tomorrow and see what any of our all racing enthusiasts uh, think of it, because uh, I know I know a few in the crowd. Of course, I also talked the um, the trade deadline, the Hall of Fame, which was recently announced, and of course um, most of the obvious choices got in. Yep. Don't forget also because. As you know, Thursday is the first preseason game with the NFL, so we're going to discuss a little NFL preseason as well. <laughs> so you might want to stick in, stick in for that. And, of course, we'll also have the best and worst of, uh, of July. Just, um, um, I have a few surprises in there, so you might want to uh, check it out. Numbers still the same, 512-543-4662 from 5 to 7 Eastern Time on Saturday. Do we ever quit? No. All right. Yeah, that's right. Got to support Lou, 5 to 7, Eastern Standard Time Zone, 512-543-4662. Definitely make sure you support Lou. And any other thoughts you have, Lou, for the great listeners? Um, No, it's like, you know, I welcome all calls and all comments, of course, but, uh, you know, just try to keep the comments free so I can get to most of my to- my topics, and uh, don't be a, don't be a party mouth. That's all. I, that's why I ask. But I welcome all comments and questions, and I welcome also you know new callers as well. So if you've never been to the show, call in. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. At least I hope so. That's right. Really appreciate you, Lou. Always a pleasure. Definitely. Thanks. You're very welcome. You have a great weekend. Thank you for calling. You too. And hopefully, I hear from you guys. All right, awesome, Lou. Thanks, Lou. Have a great night. You got it. I got to get out of here. Excuse me. All right. That's our great buddy, Lou. Really appreciate him calling in, and definitely that's awesome. And, you know, I'll, I'll since uh, we don't get a chance to live out our dreams sometime all the time, I'm going to talk a little bit about my trip to Wrigley Field, and then we'll hear about your trip to your stadium, and then we'll, since we're talking about baseball, yeah, absolutely. You know, I would have to say, for you know, for the listeners to know, always been intrigued to visit Wrigley Field since I was a kid. I was, I found it to be fascinating the fact that they have ivy on the, you know, center field across the whole wall. I, I just think it has a lot of rich history, and. Definitely, you know, with Sammy Sosa doing his thing, I've always been intrigued and wanted to visit Wrigley Field. I got a chance to go out there and visit Wrigley. It kind of was like a two-day event because the game that I was supposed to go to actually got rained out, and to the Cubs' credit, they let people know well in advance 
bad weather's forecasted for the game. You don't need to exchange your tickets. You will automatically be part of the doubleheader the next night, the night game. So instead of going Friday afternoon, I ended up going Saturday night, which worked out because it wasn't raining the next day. And, you know, as soon as you walk up to the field, I have to give the Cubs credit because the team was tied for last place, 15 games out of first place, and yet they they drew 34,000 people on a Saturday night game. I, I was and it was a doubleheader. When we get up to the field, up to the you know Wrigley Field, guess what? People started coming out from the doubleheader because it went into extra innings, and it was a mob of people. We're coming in, everybody's coming out, and it was like unbelievable amount of people. I got a chance to take pictures of the stadium. I got a chance to take pictures of the statues outside, which you can see on our Facebook page. But it lived up to its hype. And I wanted our listeners to know that I'm going to post a video of the visit to Wrigley Field. But I'm also going to do something really cool and give you my thoughts because I was able to actually sit and take pictures, check this out, in Steve Bartman's chair. So I'm going to give you my thoughts in the video vlog of what I thought as far as is Steve really to blame on this many years ago, the way he got chastised or he's not. And I'll give you my whole video input on what I saw at the field. Beautiful stadium. It's a stadium that's actually over 100 years old. And you would not think that because of all of the, you know, very good, but still keeping the roots, you know, renovations they've done. They haven't changed much, but they kept it up to date, and they added some cool things. I really thought it was a really cool stadium. It was it was a huge turnout for a game that I didn't think there was going to be a lot, but the Cubs are lovable losers, as they call them. And another bonus was that Vince Vaughn was in the building. Vince Vaughn, A-list actor, saying, take me out to the ball game. He's not a, if I was out with my family, I would have went all the way down – to where he was at and try to get a picture. But being I was, there was a lot of people there at the stadium and I was with my family. It just, I was like, I, I gotta let it go. I can't go. I can't justify going all the way over there with the family, leaving the family, crowded place, never been there before. But I tell you, if I wasn't with the family, I would have tried. Respect to Vince Vaughn for doing a great job. It was an awesome experience. And I wanted to mention too, that Vince Vaughn was there because he is a Chicago native. So if you do go to Wrigley Field yourself, you might run into Vince Vaughn yourself. Props to Vince Vaughn. Excellent experience. And I'll give you more in that video vlog. So that was my experience with, with uh, Wrigley Field A+. Yeah, it's a great ballpark. I got a chance to go there back in 2019, right about three years ago. And um, my only complaint is the seats that I had. Now, we were literally at the – very last row or very top row in the third base side. And those seats are not very comfortable up there, unfortunately. So it does depend on where you sit. Um, but great views, great uh, pictures I was able to take. Um, you know, it, like, like you mentioned, it is a classic ballpark. It is over 100 years old. I believe it opened in 19, I want to say 1914. I could be wrong on that. Um, no, no, I'm sorry, 1916, I think was the year it opened. So um, great place. Uh, you'll never see a – I mean, it's one of the best places, I think, to see a ball game. 
I've been to a couple of the historic ballparks. I was at Fenway Park a year ago. Um, you know, a lot of similarities there, a lot of the ambience and, and the, you know, the historical stuff and the neighborhood uh, characteristics of the ballpark are very neat. Now, I was in St. Louis, and, of course, St. Louis is a big rival with Chicago um, here a couple weeks back uh, at the very beginning of our road trip that we were on. And i got to be honest, of all the new ballparks, I've been to, let's see here, I've been to Milwaukee, um, Cincinnati, Washington, of course, Atlanta. I've been there multiple times, Miami, and there may be one I'm leaving out here. St. Louis is absolutely one of the most beautiful backdrops uh, with the uh, St. Louis Gateway Arch in the background beyond center field. Uh, you've got all the buildings and the apartment complexes and, um, you know, shops and all that kind of stuff beyond the outfield wall. The neat thing that they did build there in the last four or five years is they have, um, I think they call it Cardinal Way, and it's essentially similar to Wrigley Field where they have the rooftop um, seats that people can go to. They don't have to actually have a ticket to get into the game. All you have to do is be able to get into wherever those uh, restaurants or bars are. And so you have a really good view from there, too. Um, so I'd say of all of the places that I have been, the backdrop beyond uh, the stadium, it's probably one of the neatest ones. Washington is really cool, too, because you have the Capitol building um, off, I think, in, like, left center field. Uh, Cincinnati is neat because you have the, the river there, and you've got the other side of the river. You're looking into Kentucky. So um, St. Louis is really neat. Kansas City was, was an interesting ballpark. It's an older stadium been there for about 50 years they renovated it in the last i don't know eight or ten years so it looks nice they've got it with newer seating um they've made some adjustments and changes to you know how the seats and everything are set up in the outfield and those of you who don't know this kansas city is known as the city of fountains and so they have fountains and waterfalls beyond the outfield walls at coffin stadium there in kansas city it's kind of an odd shaped ballpark if you google uh, image it. It's got kind of a weird configuration to it. It's almost the way the seats are set up, kind of similar, Alan, to, to Tropicana Field, just with no dome, with kind of the way the seats kind of curve you know, down the right field and left field lines. Um, so it's an interesting one. Um, I'm hearing that the Royals in the next four or five years are probably going to begin building a downtown Kansas City ballpark where they play currently. It's kind of on the outskirts on the east side of town, and uh, building a new ballpark closer to downtown seems to be the direction that they're going to go. So, And then, of course, uh, Denver, um, you know, you get the mountains in the background. That's kind of a neat uh, neat uh, camera shot or picture shot. Um, they'd be more towards, I guess, like left, down the left field line, down literally down the left field line is kind of what you're looking at there that was a neat park to see because i you know i've seen pictures of it over the last 20 plus years and they've done some renovations there to take out some of the seating and put in more of a standing room area and so they did a great job there and that's another team that's not very good and on a saturday afternoon they probably still drew about 35 40,000 people so a lot of fun to, to be there it was a great experience and you know i got to cross three more ballparks off my list eventually i'm going to visit all uh, all uh 30 of them or you know, however many there are out there now. I guess there's 30 currently. There'll be some new ones coming here soon. But uh, nice to get those uh, those three off the list. Yeah, I mean, that's something to be proud of, definitely. And 
you're beating me on that one. You know, I'm starting to catch <laughs> up. But, <laughs> but uh, I'm glad I, I did go to Wrigley. It was, it was a great experience. And, and definitely look for the video blogs that I'm going to release because, it, it, you know, I think it'll give you a visual along with me describing it. And it'll probably be more impact for you as, as a fan of the Allen and Aaron Sports Radio Show. And I'll not only give you an insight on the, fa- on the field, I'll give you that Steve Bartman, my analysis on that too. <laughs> yeah, that'll be uh, that'll be interesting to see and, and fun to talk about afterwards too. So yeah, yeah. So sticking with baseball, since we're on that topic though, um, obviously you know we're at that that point where a third of the season left, roughly or a little over a third of the season left. There is so much baseball that's to be played, and the thing I would point out to to anybody for any team that they root for, certainly you know there's five or six teams that are completely out of the race. They're not going anywhere. That would be Cincinnati. That would probably be Baltimore, Kansas City, uh, Arizona. I'm probably leaving somebody out there that I can't think of. Uh, if I didn't mention the Royals. Yeah, Cubs, Cubs, are, Cubs are out too. Uh, in fact, they probably will be dumping some players here over the next couple of days. The thing I would point out to most people, if you're within five or six games of a playoff spot, you're technically still in the race. And the run that Atlanta went on last year, very similar to the run that the Nationals went on in 2019, where they were dead in the water up until about August 1st. It wasn't until about the last 50 games of the season that Atlanta really caught fire. So I would say that doesn't necessarily mean whoever catches fire in early August is going to be the team that does what the Braves did last year. But I don't think it's over for a lot of teams. In fact, looking at the standings right now, um, I'm going to pull those up here and just kind of go over what I think could potentially happen. Lou mentioned the Phillies. I, I think that they, they have some holes. They need to definitely uh, try to fill here uh, over the next couple of days in, in the trade deadline. But, you know, I, I would say the Marlins are definitely out. The Nationals are definitely out. The Cubs, really it's a two-team race in the Central, Milwaukee and St. Louis. I feel St. Louis still has better pieces in place. They're only three games uh, ahead of the uh, or behind the Brewers right now, uh, but the Cubs, the Pirates, Reds, they're out. Um, I would say that the Giants, hard to believe they won 107 games last year. They're a game below 500 right now. I don't think they're in it at all. So the Rockies, the Diamondbacks, and the Giants are out in the National League uh, West. At the East, I mean, I, I don't think Baltimore – Baltimore should be proud of themselves. They're a game above 500. They were the worst team in baseball a year ago. So they're making strides. They may be a contender as soon as next year with the way things are going currently there. Uh, Boston, you know, they've really fallen on hard times here. They're, they're, I think they're out. I don't think they have a much of a prayer for even a, a wild card spot at this point. And then Detroit and Kansas City are the only two teams that are really technically out in the central. Um, and then it's a two-horse race out west. It's Houston and, and Seattle. So, um, if there's a team that could go on a run, kind of like Atlanta went on last year, um, not saying they're going to win their division necessarily, but I think Toronto certainly has, you know, done some pretty good things here lately. In most divisions, the 55 wins they currently have would probably be winning their division. In fact, they have the most wins of any second-place team other than Atlanta in, in all of baseball. So I think they could be a team that could go on a, a big tear. I mean, Tampa Bay could – find a way to catch fire. So there's a lot of things that can happen over the next 60 games or so. Um, and I think it's going to be very interesting to watch and see how 
things develop because trades are going to certainly have an impact. Um, we all know how those things change the dynamic of a team, and you know it'll be fun to watch uh, and comment on over the next uh, eight nine weeks. Yeah, definitely. So a lot of things that can go on, and you know I'm very happy as a Yankees fan where the, the team is at, but I'm I'm not a whole that comfortable just because. I feel like they're relying too much on the long ball, a little too much. And when the postseason comes around, you know, things get a lot tighter. You have to be able to manufacture runs. You have to play small ball really well. And I'm not really sold on them doing that all entirely. I kind of like a combination of manufacturing and also being able to hit the home run. But, uh, you know, it's to be seen. They did lose against, you know, the Mets, which was a, Pretty nice thing for the Mets to build some momentum, but I would have to say that I like I like what the Yankees standing, but I still with the addition that they're getting in, that's a good thing. I think they need some guys that a little bit more gamers, you know, utility grunt guys. If they would say just to make sure that when they make that playoff run, you have guys that can hit the opposite way, can go ahead and do their thing. Yeah, I agree, and I think the biggest thing for the Yankees, in my opinion, same thing it's been the last couple of years, it's the depth in their starting pitching. Um, because you can hit home runs all season long. The problem when you get into the postseason is you're facing the best pitching in the league. Um, you know, No matter who you're playing, you're facing like a pretty good pitching staff somewhere. So t- typically, unless you're just homer on every single at-bat, and nobody does that, of course, it's going to be one of those things that uh, it really is determined by the depth of their pitching and beyond, um, you know, beyond Garrett Cole right now, um, you know, there's some questions I think, and I think their bullpen is something also that they are going to need to pay close attention to uh, as, um, as well. You certainly know they can hit. There's no question about that, but that old adage that good pitching beats good hitting you know, you run into a Toronto or you run into, uh, you know, um, you know Minnesota. They've got some good pitching there. You run into that good pitching staff they have out there in, in Houston or possibly even Seattle. That could change things. So, you know, you might win 110 or 115 games this season. Um, but if you don't win the World Series, you know, a lot of people are going to be pretty disappointed. So it's going to really be a, a big, uh, big thing to watch. I think that the Yankees may go after some pitching. They've been – uh, involved in some discussions, and they did pick up uh, a pretty big piece in their outfield with uh, Andrew Benintendi from the Royals over uh, the last few days. So we'll watch and see if anything else occurs. Uh, right now, Yankees are, let's see, they're right at 100 games on the season. They're playing 670 winning percentage baseball. So they've dropped a little bit uh, from where they were at one point, but they're still on a pace, Alan, to win, according to the calculator that I'm using here, Still on a pace of 108, games. That's still a pretty solid season. Um, but I think most people in New York, uh, especially diehard Yankees fans, would say. You still there? Did we lose you? We may have lost Aaron there. If he returns, I'll definitely let you know. But definitely, uh, yeah, and as it, to his point, I, you know, I, I love what the Yankees are doing, you know, not to, you know, you know, split hairs, but I do feel as if, you know, you don't want to be just relying on the home run 
leading into the postseason because that's what happens. You, you know, to his point, you do face some excellent pitching staffs, and usually they know how to keep you in the yard. So things to watch out. I, I love the the move that they made. They need to get some guys who got some speed and and can put the ball in play, and can you know leg some things out because you're going to need those type of guys in the postseason and pitching as well. So that's going to be determined. And um, let me go ahead and see if we got Aaron back. We checked into that now. There, Aaron? One moment here. Are you there, Aaron? There we go. I'm sorry. I'm not sure what happened there. We had some technical difficulties, so I'm not sure where things cut off, but I am still here, and Alan is apparently still there too. So, Good, good, good. Yeah, glad to have you back. Yeah, I just <laughs> – <laughs> yeah, you were talking about uh, the pitching staff, you know, where when you're facing good good pitching, usually it's harder to hit those home runs. Yeah, it, it is. That's, uh, that's 100% the, the case. And, and, you know, really what it boils down to is, um, you know, the adage, and I'm not sure if this is what was uh, heard this when I spoke before, but that uh, old adage is good pitching beats good, good hitting. Uh, all the time. Um, but the Yankees, you know, they're on a pace to win about 108, 109 games this year. I think most uh, diehard Yankee fans would uh, definitely say, though, at this point, um, you know, if they don't win the World Series, none of that really matters. So it is pretty important that they are able to, you know, find a way to, to win. Um, you know, and they've had some really good teams the last several years. Um, but, you know, they've only won one World Series uh 2009 only won one World Series this, you know, this century. So, or this uh, millennium, I guess. I guess since 2000. So, um, yeah. You know, I think they're going to go all in. They picked up Andrew Benintendi from Kansas City here. I think it was on Tuesday or Wednesday. Um, so they're certainly trying to, you know, fill in some gaps, fill in some holes, bring in some pieces that can help them out uh, over the next two months or so postseason. And so I think that uh, I don't. I don't expect them to take lightly where they are right now. Um, this is a really, really good team. And I wouldn't really be too shocked also if they went out and got another big arm for their pitching staff as well. I think that's something that's almost uh, needed at this point. I think most people would probably agree with that. Yeah, I would. And I agree with your point too, that I know the Yankees, they're not going to be content where they're at. And they're going to try to nip this in the bud this year because you have to. You have the Red Sox on the ropes which is usually not the case. And you have the Rays kind of on the ropes, which is not the case. So you have to really go ahead and, and make the moves you need to come into postseason strong. And like you said, it's been since 2009, time flies. Go ahead and do your best to get this, this chip because you had such a great start. You don't want to go ahead and have a situation where you don't close the deal. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's a great point there for sure. So, um, you know, I, I I just I feel like at this point, you know, the one big thing about the Yankees is they they have the money. You know, money is never going to be an issue for them. So, it's one of those things they've got some big pieces that I think they can add. I don't know for certain that there's a specific player they're targeting right now, but there's been a lot of talk about pitching. I think it could be a surprise move in there somewhere, too. So we'll see how things pan out 
over the next uh, three, four days. I think there will be some rather big names moved. Juan Soto is probably going to get traded. He's not traded now. It'll be sometime during the offseason. Um, see if the Yankees are in on him. He'd be a great fit, I think, in New York. That short porch in right field, he would be a terrific fit. And, of course, they'd have the money to hold on to him long term. Yeah, that's right. That's a great, great point. And, and we do have a caller on the line. Let me try to bring them on. Yes, how you doing? I guess not. Okay. But uh, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, you, you want to do what you got to do to go ahead and close the deal and and bring the pieces that you need to to help you get to the postseason and do successfully. Because it, it's never guaranteed in baseball. You got to keep going, and if you have an opportunity to get in the postseason, you got to make the most of it. Yeah, that's exactly right. And you know they're in a great position. They've got a huge lead. They've got uh, you know. Um, a big cushion, which the downside of that is I've seen this happen before, and sometimes you get a little too comfortable, you get a little too lackadaisical at the end of the season, and then right at the end you get in actually play meaningful games in the playoffs and you kind of get uh, punched in the mouth a little bit. So it is one of those things that can happen. you got to be very, very, uh, very, very careful. And I think that, you know, Aaron Boone, he's a good manager. I, I think he'll continue to help uh, or put them in a, a position where they're trying to play at their best. Uh, but I certainly think sometimes having a little bit – like this, this past couple games against the Mets, I think certainly kind of woke them up a little bit. So um, we'll see how they play. I think um, certainly had a, a potential World Series preview there between, um, you know, those two teams playing each other. So that was a really neat thing. And, you know, it would be a really neat thing to see those two teams play each other in the postseason. Yeah, it would be. And, you know, to your point, I definitely do think the Yankees got a wake-up call that, hey, you're doing really good, but you're not, you're not unbeatable. And, and that's the thing. You know, that's the thing that you can, you can learn from this if you're a Yankee fan that, yes, you like where you're standing at, but there's always room for improvement. And anytime the, the Yankees play the Mets, you know, there's always more pressure, I feel, on the Yankees, a lot more pressure. So if they got to keep doing what they got to do, if they face the Mets again, they got to bring the A game because the Mets are, are for real. I believe watching that series, the Mets are for real. Yeah, I don't think they're going away. And, and the only only thing that I think it would change that right now for the Mets would be this. If they start losing – pieces or they start losing confidence, one of the two, or a combination of both. Um, what I mean by that is you look about a year ago, it was right about this time in 2021 where they started having major injuries uh, that cost several players the rest of the season. I've said this from the very first week of this year. I think the biggest difference this year has been, of course, Max Scherzer. You can never go wrong with a pitcher of his caliber. He's a future Hall of Famer. Um, and just as dominant as he is, of course. But also you have, in my opinion, one of the best managers in baseball, one of the best managers in baseball in the last 30 years in Buck Showalter. And it's not so much that he is a great manager of putting guys in certain positions as far as, you know, where they're hitting in the lineup, that kind of stuff. That kind of stuff comes naturally. You've been managing for 30 years. You're going to know where to, where to place a guy in the batting order. So I would say it's not so much that. It's kind of back what I talked about with Joe Torre when he first took over in New York with the Yankees. 
you remember this, Alan, as a Yankee fan. When that Yankees hired Joe Torre, oddly enough, uh, filling in or taking over for Buck Showalter, who was a young manager at that time, the New York media could not understand or they didn't like the Joe Torre move, and the fans were really not happy with it either. And, of course, they won the World Series his first year there. And I think the reason he fits so well in New York, I I mentioned this several months ago in the show, is not because he had the great skills of a baseball manager. He certainly did. But he knew how to manage personalities. New York's the biggest market in the sport. And at that time, you had guys who were perennial all-stars. You had uh, Bernie Williams there. Cheater was a rookie that year. You had Mariano Rivera coming up. You had John Wetland as a closer. You had... uh, Jimmy Key in the rotation. Um, David Wells was there. David Cohn, Dwight Gooden, our good buddy Daryl Strawberry was playing for the Yankees that year. So um, yep. he knew how to manage those veteran, ego-driven guys. That, that's, that's baseball for you right there, 162 games. Guys have egos. It's going to get in the way sometimes, and I think that was what made Joe Torre so good. And over the last 25 years, in several different stops as a manager, you know, we talked about uh, Buck Showalter. He's been in uh, New York with the Yankees. He was in uh, Arizona with the Diamondbacks, Texas with the Rangers, Baltimore with the Orioles. Now he's, of course, with the Mets. He's seen a thing or two over the years. He's learned how to have those same kind of approaches, and that's the same thing with Joe Torre. He had managed somewhat unsuccessfully in several other places before he got to New York and, of course, ultimately finished with the Dodgers. And same type of thing. He learned from his previous uh, experience how to manage the appropriate way or right way, and it panned out for him. So um, I think the big difference in New York this year, as I've said many times, probably the manager of the year at the season ended today would be Buck Showalter. He's done a great job. Yeah, he has. And, you know, to your point, in the documentary The Captain, Derek Jeter gave a lot of credit to Joe Torre, and they discussed that move of Showalter being somebody that a lot of people did like. And, you know, he was a, definitely a, a player's coach. A lot of people respected him. It was actually a surprise that they brought Joe Torre in. But Joe Torre's personality and his style made all the difference. That'll be something else I'll, I'll put a video blog of. When the series complete, I'll put up a blog of my review of The Captain, so far so good. I've watched the first four episodes out of seven, and I can't wait to watch the other three. But I will give you, a, as best as possible, an unbiased review of The Captain so you guys get a chance to see that too. Yeah, and I'm going to be watching that. I haven't, unfortunately, with uh, vacation and work and all those sorts of things, haven't been able to catch any of it yet. But I have all, I've heard from several people, and, you know, I have uh, many, many friends that are, are diehard Yankees fans, and I got a text message from one of them uh, actually yesterday. And uh, I remember <laughs> the the comment that he made. Let me find it here. You'll you appreciate this, I think, too. Um, referring to the 96 postseason. Let's see if I can find it here. Let's see. Series looks really cool to watch too. By the way, um, obviously I'm not a Yankee fan, but anybody who who loves baseball has uh, got to have respect for number two, Derek Jeter. So, um, so it looks like uh, comment that was uh, posted here was got to say, watching the second episode of The Captain, I still stood up and cheered 
when they won in '96. So <laughs> uh, that was the first of that was the first of their yeah. dynasty teams that they had uh, kind of started over with there. Um, and people, uh, Yankee fans, remember this, but a lot of people may not. You know, the Yankees were pretty good in '93. Um, you know, coming up just a little bit short that year to I believe they missed the playoffs that year with the Blue Jays. '94 they had the best record in the American league when the strike happened. And then of course, um, 95, they had a, a team that went up two games to none on Seattle. Seattle had that great three game comeback. They had, of course, the J, uh, not Jay Buner. It was, uh, Edgar Martinez with the hit in the left field. Griffey came all the way around from first and scored. That was the last game that Buck Showalter ever managed as a Yankee. Um, of course they went on to hire Joe Torrey and the rest is history at this point. So, um, very interesting to see how those things develop and how the, you know the history of it came about. And um, Derek Jeter, you know, even though he's been retired for several years now, and he's obviously in the Hall of Fame. Very fascinating story to watch um, how he got drafted, how he came up, um, where he got his work ethic from, you know, all those things. So I would definitely recommend. And I haven't seen any of it yet. Of course, I've just seen some some uh, clips, and but I would definitely recommend uh, if you have any time, free. Um, been a couple hours watching a few episodes until you've watched all seven of the captain uh it's on espn plus uh it's definitely a very interesting um kind of behind the scenes on his career yeah definitely and i'll, I'll let you guys see that video review and you know we'll talk about it and you'll get a chance to uh definitely be enlightened by a lot of things i don't want to spoil too much of it for you guys but yeah definitely check out the captain well, moving on from the world of baseball, and I know we'll have some look uh, looking back, of course, this next week, next Friday, we'll look back at what moves were made in the baseball trades uh, over the last uh, couple of days. We'll talk about that next week in our analysis on how those things are going to, you know, impact the the playoff race. The other thing we're both super excited about is we're just a few days away from the annual Hall of Fame game in the NFL, and. I always look at it this way. I don't care if it's the two worst teams in the NFL playing each other that nobody cares about. It means football is almost back. And I'm excited about, I believe it's next Thursday, that the Hall of Fame game is played, um, meaning that we're going to start seeing uh, a lot more NFL-related stuff. We're only about what, six weeks or so away from uh, opening kickoff first uh, week of the season. Um, a lot of stuff quarterback-worthy uh, has happened over the last several days. A couple of big signings have happened as well. I know we talked about uh, Julio Jones, uh, great wide receiver. He ends up signing with Tampa Bay. Um, looks like the Packers have a new quarterback. Cameron Poe apparently has uh, come to real life, and he showed <laughs> yeah, up at the Packers camp. Yeah, I want to get your thoughts on that. I really wanted <laughs> to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I got to be honest here. I, I I think that at this point in Aaron Rodgers' career, he's kind of just doing whatever whatever uh, whatever feels good, and I think. You know, we talked about this uh, over the last, I'd say, probably since the end of the playoffs a year and a half ago, that the Packers need to move on and move on and move on from Aaron Rodgers. Well, we saw last year when he was out, they had Jordan Love play, and he clearly was not ready to be a starting quarterback, at least for the Green Bay Packers. And then as the season um, continued on, it proved to be that he was the most valuable player in the National Football League. And really without him, they would not have been a, a team that did what they did. So um, kudos to the Packers for getting through all the, the ups and downs of the 
controversy and all the things that happened from the end of the 2021 Super Bowl up until even now, um, I think he's just having fun with where he's at. You know, he's, he's a future Hall of Famer. He has already basically committed to playing the rest of his career with Green Bay. And he has been growing this long, crazy hair for the longest time. And I'm sure somebody pulled him aside and said, you know what, show up to camp, you know, with the, the, the tank top shirt on and the, the jeans and kind of slick your hair back. You kind of look like Nicolas Cage. And lo and behold, he did. And, you know, one of the things about sports, I think it's probably more predominant in baseball, but football is a grind as well, obviously, as we all know you got to have a little bit of fun sometimes. And I think sometimes guys are a little too serious. There's also times where guys are too having a little too much fun. It kind of takes away from the team atmosphere. But right at the beginning of training camp, this is a perfect way to start the year. It, it kind of breaks the ice. It kind of takes some of the pressure off. You know, guys aren't going to be asked questions about, hey, how, how are your staff going to go this year? They're going to be asked questions about, did you see this guy look like Nicolas Cage walking uh, through the gates here? Is that really – is that really him or is that Aaron Rodgers, you know? So, um, but I, I think he did a great job and, and hopefully this, you know, is a way for, for him to kind of show the leadership that he has on this team. Like, Hey guys, you know, we're going to be fine. This is going to be another good year. We may have lost, you know, our key receiver, but I kind of question some of the things that have been said by, uh, uh, by uh, uh, him anyways, um, <laughs> comparing uh, Derek Carr to, uh, to uh, Aaron Rodgers was just an absolutely ridiculous comment. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, you know, first, I definitely thought Aaron Rodgers showing up as Cameron Poe and Nicolas Cage and Connie Air was a boss move. I, I thought that was actually, <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was actually, you know what, very unique, really cool, you know, and Aaron Rodgers has been looking like, you know, like a Seattle, let's say, bum for, for the longest time. And for him to come out there with a slick back here, coming in looking like Nicolas Cage, he did. He pulled it off. And with the wife beater, I thought it was really cool, real fun. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was like, you know what? Two thumbs up for Aaron Rodgers pulling that off and doing that. Because it, it lightened up the mood. He's showing up to training camp, just letting people know, hey, just having fun with it. It's the perfect kickback to some of the stuff that Devontae Adams have been saying. Now, Devontae Adams not alone. I have to throw in Tyreek Hill. I get what they're doing. You know, you're trying to big up your quarterback. You're trying to give him some confidence. You're trying to also throw a little shade at your prior team at the same time, too. Let's not cover that up, too. That's what you're trying to do. I get it. But those comments both men have said have been ridiculous. It's one thing if you're doing... OTAs and in practice to do a guy hit hit his spots. I'll give you that. But it's another thing when you have actual DBs, safeties crashing in on you, linemen, defensive linemen coming at you with real pressure. Are you going to still make those throws? They're trying to play their politics, Devontae Adams, so that they can be kind of like the teacher's pet and get balls thrown at them. And they're throwing shade at the same time. I don't like no. it. I don't. I think it's cool. I don't think it's cool. I, in fact, me and my son talked about this the other day. Like, there's no way to uh, as accomplished as as Patrick Mahomes 
and there's no way Derek Carr is as accomplished as Aaron Rodgers. Sorry. It's not – I understand what you're trying to do, but you sound foolish saying it. And I'll say it like that. You know, I can see through that so it doesn't bother me as much. I, I just think it's kind of annoying if you're Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes have to hear this. But um, <laughs> as, far as, Aaron, <laughs> as far as Aaron is concerned, boss move. I loved it. I thought it was really cool. In fact, it makes me want to watch Con Air again. Even though I've seen that movie hundreds of times, it makes me want to watch it again. <laughs> no, absolutely. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. And I, I would say this on both of those receivers' comments. I mean, just the fact that, uh, to my knowledge, I know Tua has never won a playoff game. I know he had some big moments in college uh, football with Alabama, but I don't think that Derek Carr has done anything in the playoffs. I'm not even sure the Raiders have been in the playoffs since he's been there. So, um, to me, it's a, it's a cheap shot, and it's not even that it's a cheap shot. It's just a stupid comment, you know? I mean, does he have good skills? I think Derek Carr is a better quarterback than Tua, and I want to see Tua be successful. I like left-handed quarterbacks. There's not been a whole lot of those guys, you know, in the league. So, the fact that the Dolphins several years ago spent a first-round pick on Tua, um, you know, I want to see him be successful. Here's the reality of the situation. Both the Dolphins and the Raiders are almost in the exact same position. They both picked up good receivers in the offseason, two, two of the best receivers in the NFL. We will not discount that at all. But two guys who like to talk a big game, and normally their big game talk is actually pretty good. I would say this is at the, the lower end of what they've talked about. These are both franchises that haven't been to the playoffs in years haven't had any real ultimate success in years and also both these teams just got new head coaches too so now you're a whole new system in both places Miami hired um, uh, I think it was Mike Mike McDaniel from uh, he was a San Francisco 49er uh, offensive coordinator the last couple years and then on the other side uh, you have uh, uh, Josh McDaniels going oddly enough similar last name Josh McDaniels going to the to the Raiders, and he's been a guy who's been holding out. He's had opportunities to go other places over the years and was kind of waiting for the perfect position. And I think he's probably actually in a better spot with the uh, uh, Las Vegas Raiders than uh, the other coach, McDaniel, of course, is with, uh, with Miami. Miami, a, a kind of big thing for them. I think the, the move they made getting Tyreek Kill was certainly a, a, a terrific move. I mean, you couldn't have asked for a better – player to pick up in in terms of uh, helping your team out and getting some of those needs that you needed uh, to help your offense out. But I just don't know if Miami is going to get over the hump or not. And I kind of wonder, I personally believe that if Tua struggles this year, they're going to move on from him. I think that's almost a, a given. I kind of wonder if Miami was going to be in on, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo. Obviously, I don't think that's going to happen now. Um, where do you think he's going to go? Yeah, Jimmy Jimmy is an interesting case. You know, it's for him to get benched, you know, right at this point, I, I was a little bit surprised, you know, that, you know, he, he, he actually did pretty good in the in that postseason game. I just I, – I just a little surprised. I, I think he's going to have to be looking at a backup role at this point from another team. I don't see this late – you know, this late. It kind of happened kind of late in the game where to plug him in as a starter, I think it would be asking a bit much. He doesn't, he'd have to come into a new system, but um, to your point with Tua, I, I definitely do 
I wish the same. I hope Tua does have a very good year. I don't wish anything bad for him. I definitely hope he's successful, but I, I definitely it's, it's something to be determined and to see. You have to kind of wait and see how the season goes. I think Tyreek's comments are just as ridiculous as Devontae's, if not more. I really do. But I definitely do wish Tua success. As far as Jimmy, you know, Jimmy is the type of guy that I think people are making him a lot worse than what he really is. He, I don't think he's one of the elite quarterbacks, but I don't think he's that bad either. I just think he has moments and he can win games, but he needs to be helped out with a very, very good running game, you know, like a Debo Samuel, somebody that's Kate. I think he's going to have to take a backup role at this point. What are your thoughts? I think it depends on if there are any injuries that occur you know, during the preseason, that oftentimes will um, play a huge, uh, huge role. I kind of wonder, you know, you look around, I mean, to me, the most obvious team that needs a quarterback would be the Texans. Um, by my count, just looking through other organizations, Miami seems like they'd be a, an obvious one too. Um, and maybe if he's somehow still with the 49ers, after the second week of, of uh, the preseason, if maybe Tua is not playing super well in Miami, maybe somehow the Dolphins and the 49ers come together, you know, and make a trade. But, you know, Seattle seems like an obvious one, although, you know, do the 49ers want to make a trade within their division? I think he'd be a starter if he went there. Uh, the Giants, they would seem to be another team that would possibly, you know, I don't think they're – I don't think they're all in on Daniel Jones. I think this is really a make-or-break year for him um, there in New York. Um, you know, part of me wants to even say the Carolina Panthers. I mean, they, they have already like 15 quarterbacks on their roster. Maybe, you know, what's what's one more going to be at this point? Yeah. So, um, wouldn't be shocked also if the Browns maybe jumped in at this point because we don't know what's going to happen we have a pretty good idea, but we don't know what's going to happen there with Deshaun Watson. So that's another potential. Yeah, good point. Very good point. Situation there. So yeah. I think there's a number of places. I think he'd be a starter in any of those places I just mentioned, except for Carolina. Of course, that was kind of a joke more than anything else. But just kind of scanning through the league. I mean, I, I look at, I mentioned the Browns. I mentioned the Dolphins. Um, you know, um, Houston is a pretty obvious one. Um, I think uh, the entire AFC West is pretty set at the quarterback spot. Looking at the NFC side of things, uh, I mentioned the Giants. I can maybe see Minnesota to some degree, maybe having some interest, or even Detroit. But I think Garoppolo, here's the thing about him. I, I don't think he's an elite quarterback like you mentioned before. He's taken a team to the Super Bowl, and he was within 12 minutes of winning that Super Bowl that year. And I wonder if they would have looked at him differently had they been able to pull that game off a couple of years ago. You know, I, mean, I definitely do believe so. And you're right. He came within 12 minutes. If he would have just played a little bit better, he would have had a ring. I really – the 49ers too. Yeah, yeah. Looking at the um, – the, not, not looking at the standings, just looking at the teams, though, I'm just kind of scrolling through here. I think the best place for him to potentially end up, in all honesty, because the only guy I can think of they have right now, I guess they did pick up Marcus Mariota, but the Falcons 
seem like they might be a good fit for him. And we'll see what happens over the next couple of weeks. I know they drafted uh, Desmond Ritter in the draft uh, here a few months ago. But I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is going somewhere else to be a franchise quarterback. I think he's going somewhere to get an opportunity to maybe spend three or four years playing there. But I think he might be a guy at this point in his career where he starts to bounce around from team to team. He go, he kind of like uh, Trent Dilfer, you know, he kind of, he's had some success. He's been a, a pretty good quarterback. He may only sign a one or two year deal wherever he goes. He may bounce from, you know, this year with wherever he goes to somewhere else next year and so on and so forth. Um, but I think he's a serviceable quarterback. I think he's a kind of guy who can, who can get you there. I think he needs to have playmakers around him. That's probably been what's helped him the most. Um, one team I'll throw out there, and I, I don't think this is out of the question, and I would say everybody just kind of think about this. How about him going back to New England? I don't know that the Patriots are 100% sold on Mac Jones. I think he certainly fits what they want long-term if they're willing to be patient with him. But if that patience grows really thin, especially early on in the, the preseason, he'd be a perfect fit to go back and play for the Patriots, and I think that would be something they would consider. I think so too. You know, he's you know, Garoppolo is a guy that he doesn't come across as a guy. He's he'll listen, he'll take tough coaching, he wants to learn and do better. He's not elite, but he needs playmakers around him. And like you said, he's very serviceable. You know, he stays out of controversy. These are all very very good things to have as a quarterback. I think those teams you mentioned earlier. He can start and actually do very good on those teams as long as you give him some playmakers. Because if you're expecting him to to beat you on his play alone, that's going to be a stretch. But I think yeah. if you put players around him, he he can he can make things happen. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that 100. percent So um, now we've talked about a lot of quarterback stuff here. The most uh, intriguing thing maybe that's happened uh, because it does have an impact on the field long-term was the huge contract. And I mean, huge contract, 160 or 180 million of which is guaranteed to Arizona Cardinal quarterback, Kyler Murray. I think one of the most exciting quarterbacks in the league. He's a little bit different because he's a shorter guy. A lot of people have said that somebody his size may not work in the NFL. I think he has been probably in my, in my opinion, the best comparison I have. And I know I'll probably get some, um, some shade for saying this. He's he's a right-handed version of Michael Vick, and I think he's done a great job. Uh, he's been a fun guy, which that's always a good thing. You talked about how, or we talked about how Aaron Rodgers kind of came into camp this year with kind of the the fun spirit and kind of you know t- trying to pass it on to his teammates. And I think that Kyler Murray is that same kind of guy. He he has he has a lot of fun, um, has a little bit of an ego, but I think last year or so. What do you think of this huge deal that he signs and, um, you know, what, what he brings to the table long-term? Will he be there the entire time, or is this a disaster waiting to happen? Unfortunately, I, I think the latter of the two. I just think Kyler Murray, Murphy is a very, very good player, but I just think there is there are some warning signs with him. Number one, they put in a contract clause that, he has to do independent study for four hours, which is basically saying that you're not putting in the work as a quarterback to perfect your craft. That's showing a, a hint of your worth ethic. You're playing video games instead of studying. 
And he did sensational the first half of the season. But once teams figure out the second half, his winning record wasn't as good. And he is a shorter guy in the league, as you mentioned. He's a guy that can get nicked and can get injured a bit. So I just think that they kind of paid Kyler because of the fact that kind of like they did it reluctantly, but they gave him this money. And another reason why I feel is if he got this big contract is that they didn't have much viable options. Also with DeAndre Hopkins now being suspended for the first six games, I think this was kind of like a panic move. Like let's make sure we secure Kyler and we have at least one superstar that can bring fans in. And I think they kind of did this move reluctantly. I'm not a Kyler hater. I wish him the best. I really hope he does really well. But I do think they they overpaid in this contract because of the amount of guaranteed money with someone who's being injured. But the person who benefits from this move the most is actually Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson is going to get a really nice paycheck when he gets his contract is due because he is far more deserving of this type of contract than Kyler is. I think Lamar is really happy that Kyler got his money, but I think this is going to be an unfortunate disaster waiting to happen. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, I guess we'll see how that goes. I think part of that, I think would have to do, and this is just uh, being honest and no disrespect to the organization. I think that him being in a place like Arizona, which is not a historically great place for football, at least in the NFL, that does make sense what you're saying there. So I, I can see where you're coming from on that. I still think he's an electrifying player, though. I really enjoy watching him play. He doesn't play quarterback the conventional way. Um, he's one of those guys who it's almost like you're watching Doug Flutie, and I say that for a couple of reasons. Similar height, 5'10". I think Doug Flutie was about 5'10 as well. And if you watch Kyler Murray, it's almost like you're watching Doug Flutie with the – the play being sped up by tape recorder kind of thing um, because he outruns the defenders so well. Now I do believe, and I do agree here that at some point they're going to figure out how to defend him a lot better. So he's going to have to use his arm. Same thing I said about Michael Vick 20 years ago, you can run, but you know what? Eventually they're going to hit you hard enough that it's going to cause some issues and you're going to not be able to do that anymore. So you're going to end up being a pocket quarterback more than anything else. So I do think he's going to have to throw, um, but it is nice to see what he can do, you know, running the football because he, he definitely runs very well. I'd say he needs to protect the ball a little bit better because he oftentimes will run with the ball in one hand. And I think what's going to happen is a lot of the defenders are going to figure out, just got to swap the ball out of his hand and it'll be okay. So, Yeah, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with his physical talent. He's got it. He's got gifts. He's definitely all good on that end. I question his worth ethic. I also question maturity, you know, and there's also his ego, as you mentioned here earlier. Those things have shown his ugly head, and I think with this type of contract, those things usually don't get better. They, in most cases, get worse. I hope I'm wrong, but I, I, just, I just think it's already starting off poorly because he had that contract clause about the study, and because he basically complained about it, they took it out of the contract right away because he was really upset about it. I already think that he's already starting to get the backlash already and he's not starting to handle it as well. 
just imagine once the season starts playing, I just see that this can can either go great, but I, I feel as if it's it's I'm getting the feeling it's going the other way already. Yeah, this is a big year for the Cardinals, obviously, because of this deal. Um, they kind of put themselves on notice uh, by making this signing as it is anyways. But then you've also got Cliff, Pink, uh, Cliff uh, Kingsbury, the head coach there, uh, who I think a lot of people believe if there's a good opportunity in the college um, ranks to go back and coach at the college level after this upcoming season. His name was out there for several uh, top jobs, including Oklahoma. Um, past off season, that he might jump at the opportunity, looking at it from the perspective of got to, I've got to move on. I've got to take an opportunity where I think I may have a better chance. So I think there's a lot of big things that are going to happen this year, and I think that would be, in my opinion, that would be the the big thing. Is you know, does this does this move pay off uh, for both sides? Now I will say this too, if things go south, I think he would still be an attractive quarterback to trade. So you could have some potential um, spots where he could be moved to. Uh, I wouldn't speculate this early on who that might end up being, but I think it is something that would potentially be out there as, you know, as an option. Yeah. And if you get, if the Cardinals did take another embarrassing loss, like they did in the playoffs, I think, he would strongly consider taking that move to the college ranks because that was a pretty embarrassing playoff game. Yeah, no, it was, I mean, especially when you consider the the, the Panthers, the Cardinals were the, the last unbeaten team, I think, this past year. I think they were 8-0 at one point, and they had a, a big lead in the uh, NFC West. And then when all came out, you know, they ended up, being one of three teams from that same division making the playoffs, and they just barely got in at the end. And, of course, yeah. the Rams and the 49ers there uh, as well. And, you know, obviously it was really a tale of two halves. And so I think if they play early on the same way they played at the end of last season, that could really be a strong indicator on what they're uh, looking at going forward. Yeah, definitely. And this is going to be a good test because, uh, you know, you got he's got the contract. And he's got a lot to prove. I'm curious to see how Kyler Murphy and uh, and the team does. Yeah, I think it's going to be a tough division because you've got um, you, know, you think about Seattle probably isn't going to be anywhere this year. They're kind of in in uh, tear down, rebuild, start over mode. I think this is probably Pete Carroll's last year with the the Seahawks. I was a little surprised he even came back this you know this season coming up here, especially since they traded Russell Wilson away. Um, but you've got uh, the Rams are clearly the best team in the division. I would make an argument about whether San Francisco or Arizona is the second best team. And I think the quarterback play is going to be the big determining factor. We talked about the 49ers before. They're trying to move on from Garoppolo. Trey Lance is a true there. We don't know a whole lot about him as an NFL quarterback. He hasn't done a whole lot um, at this point. But they're putting all their eggs in that basket if they're willing to trade Garoppolo away and – it's you know going to be sink or swim, and that, that's kind of the way the Cardinals were a couple of years ago when they drafted uh, Kyler Murray. Is they they kind of said, hey, this is our guy, we're going to go with him. So, 49ers are in that same boat, and you know they do have some playmakers there in San Francisco. They've got a decent running game. Um, you know they still have Debo Samuel right now, and we'll see how things go. But I think that's uh, 
you know, it's a, a it's a gamble to go out and trade away a quarterback that has been successful for you more than once. Um, but again, they drafted Trey Lance in the first round, um, you know, a little over a year ago. That's the guy they want to go with. They feel like it's time for him to to put up or shut up, and we'll see what happens there. So, I think it's really a toss up for who's the second best team in the uh, NFC West. Yeah, you got some great points there. You know, it's definitely a a toss-up in NFC West is a lot to do out there, and and I did say Mur- Murray. I Kyla Murray is the way it's, it's pronounced. But yeah, you know, I definitely think it's going to be an interesting year. I, I'm curious to see how the Bucks do too. You know, and it's going to be a lot of moves in the, in the NFL. That's one thing about the NFL that that's really cool is that you never know what to expect. You know, is injuries play a part? how teams play and mm-hmm. coaching staff. I'm interested to see how the season plays out. Yeah. Good point with the Bucks too. You know, they're going to have some, some major differences this year. They have a new coach. It's a defensive uh, uh, mentality first with Tampa now with Todd Bowles as a head coach. I think it's a great fit. I mean, I, I don't think Tampa could have gone wrong either way. They could have gone the offensive coordinator side um, in um Who's our offensive coordinator in Tampa now? <laughs> um, uh, former Jaguar, Byron Leftwich. I don't know why I couldn't think of that name. Yes, yes. Um, I think they would have been perfectly fine with him, but I, I, I think what Tampa was probably looking at and counting on and strategically making this decision when they, when they decided uh, to go ahead and hire Todd Bowles from within, I think they know – that Byron Leftwich in the next year or two is going to be a head coach somewhere else. I know he's interviewed a couple times. I think he's going to get a job somewhere at some point. There's going to be an opening. Maybe he goes to Seattle and helps rebuild them up in, in Seattle a year or so from now. Um, who knows? We'll speculate on that as we get uh, towards the end of the NFL season. But I think the Bucks were looking at it as historically we're a defensive first team. We had that great defense in the late 90s, early 2000s under Tony Dungy you know, and, and the great things they were able to do there. And they are going to try to rebuild things after this current era is over with a defensive mentality first. So having a defensive first head coach seems to make sense. And Todd Bowles is an excellent guy. He's an excellent fit there. Um, he really fit them well. Um, and I think he'll, he'll, I think he'll do well in Tampa Bay. I predict the Bucks as the second best team in the NFC uh, South this year. I think that the, um, the division, I think, is up for grabs to some degree, but I think that if uh, if Jameis Winston can stay healthy and they can keep the core of their team healthy and on the field, I think that the Saints have a really good shot winning um, winning that division this year. And then it's really, I'd say Atlanta is kind of at the end, and Carolina could sneak up there and, and do some things this year too. But I'm never going to bet against Tom Brady. Uh, obviously, he's proven too many people wrong over the years, so we'll kind of let that play out as it may. Yeah, I still think the Bucks their division to lose, but you're right. You know, the Saints are not going to let them have the division. They're going to come in guns blazing. Michael Thomas is back, and they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. But I just think if they can have Julio stay healthy, be so flash of what he used to be, I like the the Kyle Rudolph move. I mean, he's not Gronk, but it's it's still not a bad move. At least you're going to have a younger guy. So I think the Bucks are going to put it together. And like you said, you can't bet against Brady. I think they still 
they probably go one and one with the Saints, but I still think they can pull out the division. Yeah, I don't think it'll be quite as easy as it was, um, you know, his first year in Tampa for sure. Um, especially when you consider that, you know, even though I don't think there's any clear cut winner out of the other three teams necessarily, um, I think that the rest of the division is catching up to Tampa Bay. And of course, you know, the era that they're in now, Brady uses his last year. We're pretty positive of that. After the, he's gone, the whole team mentality will probably change quite drastically, I would think. So it'll be interesting to see, as I mentioned before, how things uh, pan out over the next um, 12 months or so. A year from now, we'll be talking about the Bucks probably in a much different capacity. I would think at that point they probably have, you know, gone defensive in the draft and tried to really build that side of the football back up. So, um a lot of great things we talked about here tonight. I mean, quarterback after quarterback after quarterback. That's obviously the most important position in the National Football League. Glad we're back on the air here tonight. It's been a great show. I knew you had some golf and some boxing news yeah. you wanted to bring up here tonight. Yes, that's right. Just a couple things on the, the golf. Um, it, it seems that Bryson DeChambeau and Tiger Woods are no longer friends since Bryson joined Live Golf. So, be on the lookout if you're playing for the PGA Tour. If you're a friend of Tiger Woods, you may not be friends anymore if you join the, the <laughs> Live Golf, and he might take it personal and not be a friend anymore. I would like to ask Tiger myself if uh, if someone does, if you're a friend of somebody on the PGA Tour and they do decide to go to Live Golf, is it a, pro- a known fact that you're no longer going to be their friend? Because... Uh, <laughs> Bryson no longer it's not like they their friendship cool since he joined. And in the boxing news, definitely wanted to let you guys know that there's Danny Garcia and Ben Benitez fighting this weekend. I I do think Ben Benitez is gonna beat Garcia at this higher weight class. And I looked uh to him getting a loss, him being Danny Garcia. I, I predict Benavides will win that fight. And also in the boxing world, I did want to say that I don't know what's taking so long for them to sign this fight, the Spence versus Crawford fight, but I am losing confidence in that happening. I'll keep you posted. I hope I'm wrong, but I don't feel as if that, if that fight does happen, I don't feel as if it's going to happen by the end of this year. We will see. I'll keep you tuned on that. But, yes, I will keep you up to date on other boxing news as it comes about. Good stuff, for sure. Yeah, we're definitely glad to have uh, that as a part of our program here as well. So it's been a great show. Glad to be back. Got a lot of stuff to get to again next week. Uh, we'll recap um, We'll recap uh, the Major League Baseball trade deadline. I'm sure we'll be posting and commenting about that a lot this week. We welcome the comments that everybody uh, will be posting there uh, once we put whatever news is out there. I'm, I, I'm thinking, Alan, there's going to be a few surprise trades that are going to just blow our minds over the next few days. Hopefully I'm right about that, um, and we can have that to talk about here next week as well. We can give our predictions on how those moves again will impact the final two months or so of the baseball season. So I want to thank our great sponsor again, uh, Chef G's Barbecue Sauce, so delicious and addicting. You may need a support group. And, of course, our good buddy uh, Lou for giving us a call here tonight. It's been a great show. Thank you for listening. And we will be back here again next Friday night, same time, 
same great place. Hopefully everybody has a terrific week. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Evan Aaron Sports Talk Podcast. Subscribe and check out us on your favorite social media platform. Thank you.